All right, I got a quick question for you. So how much sin disqualifies us from inheriting heaven? How much sin disqualifies you from inheriting heaven? I mean, think about it. Is it it a trillion sins? What would you say? How much sin disqualifies you from inheriting heaven? Okay, so I hear some, I hear a number, (laughs) one. All right, so I have a follow-up question then. This morning, how many of you believe that you will be inheriting heaven? I want to show my hands. Let me see. How many of you believe you'll be inheriting heaven? All right, so I need some clarification here. I just asked, how much sin would disqualify you from inheriting heaven? You came to a consensus. Just one. Well, I'm looking out, and I don't see anybody walking on water out here. (laughs) Good point. So there is a problem. What is that? The problem is sin. If sin disqualifies us from inheriting heaven, and yet all of us in here, or most of us in here, raised our hand and said, I believe I'm going to heaven, how did we get there? How did you bridge that over? You had two things that were opposing. It's like, well, one sin would separate me from God. Yet, I believe I'm going to heaven. Well, most of you know that is grounded solely in the gospel of Jesus Christ. There is no other way. It's not by works. It's not by trying to be good enough or doing enough good deeds. It is what Christ has done that he has paid the full penalty on the cross. And for those who believe and trust in him, who turn from themselves and turn to him, they are given eternal life in Christ Jesus. For those of you that raised your hand, hopefully that's what you're trusting in. And hopefully that's the reason why you have this issue of we're all sinners in here. We all have fallen short of the glory of God. But for those who have trusted in Christ, there is forgiveness. This morning I want to share a sermon with you called Christ Shines in the Darkness. Christ Shines in the Darkness. We're going to continue in our text in John chapter 13 this morning. As you open up your Bibles to John chapter 13, I'll remind you of the context of where we're at in John chapter 13. We were there last week, and most likely there'll be a lot more Sundays where we're in the same exact context. Jesus is in the upper room with his disciples. It's the night that's referred to as the Last Supper or the upper room discourse. It's the night before Jesus' crucifixion. Literally a matter of hours before Jesus is hung on a cross where he will will die as an innocent man for guilty sinners. We're hours away from that in our context this morning. We're days before he'll demonstrate his power over sin and death by rising from the dead. And it's in this upper room that Jesus is reclining at table with all of his disciples. If you were with us last week, Jesus had washed the feet of the disciples, demonstrating a life of humility and holiness. And then he said at the end of that, if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Talking about a life of holiness, a life of humility. And we pick up in this context this morning, in verse 18, I'll read through the end of the chapter if you want to follow along this morning. Beginning in verse 18, Jesus says, I'm not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. I am telling you this now before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. 
After saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit and testified, truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. The disciples looked at one another, uncertain of whom he spoke. One of his disciples, whom Jesus loved, was reclining at table at Jesus' side. So Simon Peter motioned to him to ask Jesus of whom he was speaking. So that disciple, leaning back against Jesus, said to him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, It is he to whom I will give this morsel of bread when I have dipped it. So when he had dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. Then after he had taken the morsel, Satan entered into him. Jesus said to him, What you are going to do, do quickly. Now no one at the table knew why he said this to him. Some thought that because Judas had the money bag, Jesus was telling him, buy what we need for the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. So after receiving the morsel of bread, he immediately went out, and it was night. When he had gone out, Jesus said, now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me. And just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterwards. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. At the completion of chapter 13, may the Lord bless the reading of his word this morning. Here in chapter 13, Jesus begins to give us a glimpse of the significance of all that he is doing. All the events that are recorded reveal something about his innermost glory. This is about his glory. Did you catch, if you look in your Bibles, look at verses 31 and 32. Refer to those again in your Bibles. He's speaking of a relationship that he has with the Father. And the relationship that the Father has with him. Something is transpiring in this upper room that reveals and manifests something of his essential glory. Not only of his humanness, but of his divine nature. Look at verses 31 and 32. He says, now it is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. What word, church? Come on, you see over and over again. Must mean something, right? Five times in that short statement, you're glorified, 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 over and over and over again. We see Jesus is glorified. God the Father is glorified in the Son. The Father is glorified. The Son is glorified in the Father, and the Father and the Son, he goes over, back and forth. Why all this? Because they are one. And this is about the glory of God. Later on, Jesus will pray in, in John chapter 17, and as he prays to the Father, he'll say in John chapter 17, verse 4, 
I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. Jesus is here fulfilling all that Scripture has said about the one who would be the suffering servant, the one who would give their lives for others. This is Jesus. And not that that's not amazing enough, but he goes on in this passage, and he's speaking about the glory of God, the radiance of God that's going to shine during this time. But here is the interesting part. The background, what's going on behind the scenes and in front, not behind the scenes, but going on at the time, is you have Judas's betrayal at hand. Jesus is predicting that. And on the other end of it, you've got Peter's denial, Jesus predicting Jesus, Peter's denial. They're like bookends. In the middle, Jesus is talking about this is all about the glory of me, the glory of the Father. And on one end, he's predicting Judas's betrayal. The other end, he's predicting Peter's denial. You go, what in the world does that have to do with this? I believe it's very intentional the way that John has put this in here. The way he's combined these words of what's going on, he's painting a dark backdrop so that Christ can shine. There's a dark backdrop here. Think about it this way. If you've ever gone jewelry shopping, which I'm sure some of you have, I know Pastor Manny has recently, and as you go jewelry shopping, the jeweler might come out with a little bag, a little bag of expensive goods. And they might take some tweezers, some angled tweezers, and pull them out and show you what's in there. And it's a diamond. And that diamond might shine. It might sparkle and look real good. And they go, but wait. And then they get out a black candle. And they put that diamond before that black candle. And what happens to that diamond? Everything. You see the absolute beauty of that diamond. When it has that black canvas behind it, it shines. That's why if you ever had a ring, bought a ring, you get a little box, and there's usually black velvet in there, and make those, that treasure shine in there. Much in the same way, Christ is the greatest treasure. So you put a black drop behind him of black and darkness, and his radiance, he shines in front of it. So that's what we're going to see this morning. We're going to see this, this dark backdrop, and we're going to see Christ shining. And what we're going to look at is we're going to look at the story of Judas and also the story of Peter. And they're going to paint this dark backdrop for us this morning. We're going to put them side by side so we can compare and contrast them this morning. And when we do this, some immediate questions come to mind. Here's the first one we'll ask ourselves. How can I be sure that I'm not a Judas? How can I be sure that I'm not a Judas? Another question is, how can I be sure that I'm not a Peter? Another question I might ask this morning is, what's more dangerous, being Judas or being Peter? And lastly, what does all this have to do with Christ's glory being on display? What does this have to do with Christ's glory? Let's first this morning consider Judas. So if you have your Bibles open, we're going to start in verse 18, and we're going to look at Judas this morning. So looking at the story of Judas, starting in verse 18, Jesus says, I'm not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen. Guess whom he has not chosen? Judas. He says, but the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. That's interesting. He's quoting Psalm 41, verse 9. David wrote of this about one of his closest counselors who turned on him and went and sided with his son Absalom. He betrayed him. 
And what it spoke of him was that just this, the one who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. Jesus is quoting Psalm 41. By the way, you know what happened to that counselor? After he betrayed David, he went and hung himself. Some of you know the story of Judas. There's a lot here. We continue in the text this morning, verse 19. Jesus says, I'm telling you this now, before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am, is what it really says, that I am. Again, he is one. He is, the, he is God. He's purposely saying this. He's saying, this is, you're just going to come to your remembrance of what I said, and you're going to go, surely this man was God. Verse 20, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. Jesus said that before. He's saying it again. And it says, after saying these things, look with me at verse 21. After saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit. This last chapter, chapter 12, verse 27, when the time had come, the hour had come, Jesus was troubled in his spirit. And now it's all playing out. It's before him. This is all going to unfold. Here it is, the betrayers before him. Jesus is troubled in spirit. The hour has come. Verse 22, Jesus looked, or excuse me, the disciples looked at one another, uncertain of who he spoke. Did I skip part? Hold on. Verse 21, go back to verse 21 with me. After saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit. And testified, truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. Okay? It's going to happen. Now, think about in that room. We've talked about it before. Shouldn't they be pointing the finger at somebody? Shouldn't they go, what? So-and-so. In this case, I would think it would be pretty obvious. It's going to be Judas. I told you it was Judas. I told you there was a problem. What would you let him keep the money bag for? told you there was going to be issues. But verse 22, if you look at it, it says just the opposite. It says the disciples looked at one another uncertain of whom he spoke. Think about that. How is that possible? How is it possible? They would stare at each other and go, who is it that there's not even a hint? They're not even murmuring amongst themselves like, is it him? Is it him? It's, there's nothing. They are completely confused. To the point of saying, is it I? Who, who is this? Everyone looked the same. Nobody stood out. They've all been with Jesus. They've walked with Jesus. They've witnessed the miracles of Jesus. They've been used by him to heal others and do other miracles. Judas included. And they don't know who this is that Jesus is speaking of. So in verse 23, it says, one of his disciples whom Jesus loved, this is John referencing himself, one of the disciples whom Jesus loved was reclining. Yeah, I love it, John, right? What's that? Yeah, right? He's like, by the way, me. One of his disciples whom Jesus loved was reclining at table at, at Jesus' side. So Simon Peter motioned to him to ask Jesus of whom he was speaking. You could see this playing out. He's like, look, you're right there. Ask him. He's right next to you. Ask him. This is happening. It's playing out right here. So that disciple, being John, leaning back against Jesus, said to him, 
Lord, who is it? Again, no ifs, ands, no, no wondering, like, is it them, Lord? Is it Judas? Lord, you need to see what you're speaking of. And now Jesus is going to make it very clear. Verse 26, he says, Jesus answered him and said, look, it is he to whom I will give a morsel of bread when I've dipped it. They're reclining at table. The food is in front of them. I mean, it's all right there. Watch as this plays out. Jesus says, look, I'm going to take a piece of bread. I'm going to dip it. Watch who I give it to. So here it goes. Verse 26, he says, again, to whom I give it. Uh, and then he says, so when, or right, excuse me. John records, so when he had dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. Okay, now, looking around, I don't see anybody sleeping yet. So if I had bread, and I had dipped it, and I handed it to somebody in here, you would have deserved that, right? If I just said, by the way, watch what I'm about to do. I'm going to take this. I'm going to dip it. Pay attention to who I give it to. And it goes to somebody. We would all be in prison right now. What in the world is going on in this room? Look at what happens. Jesus gives it to Judas. He hands it to him. Verse 27 tells us, after Judas takes that morsel of bread, Satan entered into him. And Jesus said, what you are going to do, do quickly. I'm going to comment on how this is playing out in front of everybody. But what we just read is probably one of the scariest things I read in Scripture. And Satan entered into him. That's scary. I mean, that doesn't, like, wake you up this morning and start with you going, what, what just happened? Then Satan entered, and Jesus says, what you're about to do, do quickly. This is obvious. All right, we know who it is. It's Judas. They all should know. Look at the next verse. Verse 28. Now, no one at the table knew why he had said this to him. Some thought that because Judas had the money bag, Jesus was telling him, buy what we need for the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. Now, now pump the brakes. Jesus just said, they said, John leads back, Lord, who is it? Just pay attention. I'm going to take the bread. I'm going to dip it. Pay attention to who I give it to. Jesus does that, gives it to Judas, and says, what you do, do quickly. And they're like, wow, that's weird. Why, why would he tell him that? Maybe we need some food. Or maybe he's going to give some money to the poor. Really? It is all playing out right here in front of them. You've got to ask the question, why didn't they get it? How, how does that happen? What does that say about Judas's witness? Right? Well, they didn't even think it could have been Judas. Even though Jesus just said, look, I'm going to dip this and give it to the guy, and that's him. They didn't think twice. Like, no, it can't be Judas. Judas had done all that they had done. Judas looked really good on the outside. Even when Jesus said, this is going to be the one, they went, oh, no, Jesus couldn't have been thinking about that. That, that couldn't have been it. It's absolutely crazy. We read in verse 30, so after receiving the morsel of bread, Judas went out immediately, and John records, and it was night. John, all the way through, was talking about light and darkness. And guess what? It is an hour of darkness. That the world of darkness is going to be in full effect. 
Satan has entered Judas, and it is on. My question this morning, as we look at Judas, is do you see this as a tragic story? This is a man for almost three years has been with Christ. He has seen the miracles of Christ. He's performed miracles in Christ's name. And yet, he's so far away. Not just far away, but self-serving and now being used by Satan. Satan has entered him, and he's moving on. It is a tragic ending for Judas. Judas will go, and there will be some remorse, but it will be a worldly remorse. When he realizes, I have betrayed an innocent man, it's not, let me repent and turn back, but let me do the most selfish act of all and take my own life. That's Judas's end. Church, I see this as a complete, complete tragedy. To be face-to-face with Christ, to know the truth of Christ, to know the claims of Christ, who Christ himself would say, if you do not believe in me, you will die in your sins. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to me except through the Father. Jesus has claimed he is the way. And here Judas has experienced it, he's seen it, and yet his end is completely tragic. That's one side of the book there. Judas. The prediction of the betrayal of Judas. But then we have another book in on the other side where Jesus talks about all of his glory. And we have Peter. Let's look in verses 33 through 38. Jesus continues in the text. He says, little children, yet a little while, while I am with you, you will seek me. And just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, where I am going, you cannot follow me now. But you will follow afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. Church, in this part of this text right here, there are a couple verses that are so big that I'm not going to do justice to it by trying to fly over it this morning. Next week, we're going to round back to this, and we'll cover verses 33 and 34 about that new commandment that Jesus is setting out. What I want us to look at this morning, though, is Peter. What's going on with Peter? We have Judas on one side. We got Peter on the other side. So look, starting in verse 37 with me. Look what Peter says. He says, I will lay down my life for you. What is he saying? He's saying, I'm all in. Another gospel says, he says, well, whether I go to prison or have to give my life, he's all in. Do you think he meant it? Or do you think he's just trying to, like, elevate some words to impress Jesus? Absolutely, I think he meant it. I think he felt it like, I'm all in. He was completely confident that there is no way that I'm going to do anything except be by your side. He certainly felt it. He wasn't lying. He wasn't facing him saying, let me make something up. He, in his heart, and his mind, he was ready to die for Christ if that's what was required of him. Jesus looks at him and predicts, by the way, Peter, you're going to deny me three times. Three times. And guess what Peter did? Denied him three times. Okay, a little side note. 
when Jesus says something, it's going to happen. Okay? So he tells him, you're going to deny me three times. And, for, and just as he said, he denied him three times. You know, it, it's interesting because we often blame Peter for being the one who always puts his foot in his mouth. But he's actually the one who speaks. Looking around, some of you in here speak. And if you speak, sometimes you're going to put your foot in your mouth. But what he's speaking is what is on his heart is there is no way I will, I will be by your side even if it means death. But he fails. And he fails just like Jesus had predicted he would fail. Did Peter have it all together? Peter didn't have it all together. He absolutely did not have it all together. But here's what's interesting about Peter. Because of Christ's work, Peter will turn. Peter will change. Peter will repent, which we don't see that in Judas. Interestingly enough, in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10, we read about sorrow or grief. And we read, for godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. What does that have to do with this? Everything. Because we have Judas on one bookend, and we have Peter on the other bookend, and we had one who, though he was sorrowful, there was no turning. It was, let me take my own life now. It was selfishness on top of selfishness. And then on the other side, we see the work of God in a man, but he repents, and he turns. Repentance is not just saying, God, I'm sorry. It's allowing the Spirit to work in you that that produces fruit of repentance. It's going the other direction. Open up the book of Acts. Don't do it right now, but as you do, what do you see Peter doing? Opening his mouth, just like he had been. He opens his mouth, but now, wow, the things that come out of his mouth, the way that he preaches, his voice coming out as a thundering voice for truth and godliness for Jesus. Even when he was in prison, Peter would say, we must obey God rather than man. Something had changed. Now, Peter still didn't have it all together. As you go through the New Testament, Peter still makes blunders. He still has shortcomings. He still fails at time. He blows it time and time again. It's not just the three times that he denied Christ, but it continues on. But he's a man that now begins to be used by God. He's a man that has a new heart, new desires. Peter gets changed. So this morning, here's what I want to look at. What's the difference between Judas and Peter? Now, I've already said some of them. What's the difference between Judas on one side and Peter on the other? Imagine going back a couple thousand years. You're walking the Jerusalem streets, and that night you bump into these men. Judas had just gone, got his 30 pieces of silver. He's on his way. He's doing his thing. What would be the difference between those men that night? What's going on? I mean, we could say that they both pretty much abandoned Christ. Both men. But what's the difference between Judas and Peter? It's a great question. It's one that we need to think about. John is putting these two disciples side by side. And he's pointing out, look, you are either Judas or you're Peter. That's what he's saying. You're either Judas or you're Peter. We have to understand that this morning, that the reason he put these there is we're looking at this. 
There's both men who have failed. Both of these men have fallen short before God. Both men in that moment abandoned Christ. So what is the difference? The difference is that Christ is shining in the darkness. The difference, church, is Christ. That's the difference. You know when you look to scriptures? Eleven, we had a, 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 in a men's group this week, someone asked a question about a, a scenario in scripture. And so what does it mean for that person? And one of the guys said, well, what does it say about God? You know what it says about God? We so quickly want to know, what does it say about us? What does it say about God? So when we look at the difference between Judas, and we look at the difference between him and Peter, what does this say about Christ? Because Christ is the differentiator. And the question for us this morning, the question for you this morning, is do you belong to Christ? Do you belong to Christ? Because on one end there was Judas, and guess what? He didn't. And on the other end there was Peter, and though he failed, guess what? He belonged to Christ. This is a big deal. The question is, have you repented and placed your trust in Christ alone? What we see in Peter's life is that when you do that, he'll never leave you. Jesus will never leave you, never forsake you. Even when you are faithless, he is faithful. Now, I want to talk to the believer here this morning. If you're a believer, have you been perfect? Do you know that's the requirement? To be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. But as a believer, I praise God that I am clothed in the righteousness of Christ, that he fulfilled the law on my behalf. And now that's my pursuit, is to walk in holiness. But do I fail? Before you get up and say, the pastor just said he fails, we've got to go to another church. He who is without sin, cast the first stone. But the differentiator is Christ. If you are Christ, he will hold you fast. Let me share from a different gospel some other words that Jesus shared to Peter in that upper room that night. We read in Luke chapter 22, verses 31 and 32. Jesus looks at Simon Peter and he says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Now, when you read that, you'd be like, wait, what? What happened in that upper room that night? Jesus gave that morsel of bread to Judas, and then what happened? Satan entered into Judas. Jesus says, guess what, Simon Peter? He asked for you, too. I just want to let you sit on that for a second. He asked for you, too. What was the difference between Judas and Peter? Jesus. Jesus was the difference. Jesus interceded. Jesus prayed that his faith may not fail. This is crazy. Jesus is the one that sustained Peter. It wasn't Jesus, uh, excuse me, it wasn't Peter's great work of, oh, look at me and look how strong I am and look how great I'm doing. It was Jesus who was interceding for him. It was Christ. Jesus shined in the darkness and brought Peter through. So again, are you Judas 
or are you cheating? Both of them failed. But one had Christ. It wasn't in Peter's own strength that he persevered. It was through Christ. Christ is the only defining line between the two. Judas not being Christ. Judas was about himself, self-promotion, how much he could benefit from the relationship. Judas looked so good amongst everybody else doing everything they did, they even trusted him with the money bag. Think about it. He looked really good on the outside. He looked really holy on the outside. But he did not have Christ. On the flip side, we look at Peter, who we say Peter was some, sometimes such a fool. Such a fool. But guess what? As a fool, he was Christ. The differentiator was Christ. His heart had been transformed. His, his desires were made new. He was given the gift of repentance and faith. So again, the question is, are you Christ? Are you Christ? Hopefully by this point in your life, you have realized, I am going to fail. There are going to be times of failure in my life. Are you Christ? Is he there to hold you fast? Have you come to Christ? Have you received him as Lord and Savior? Have you gently trusted him, turned from your own path and turned to him? I'm not talking about an agreement with the facts. That was Judas. If there was jeopardy 2,000 years ago, Judas would have got all the questions right about Jesus. He saw everything. It's not about the head knowledge. It's about transformation. Here's the reality for us believers, though, at times our faith might be shaky. Nothing can snatch you out of the hands of Jesus. You are secure in Christ. That's great hope. That's great hope. I don't need to raise my hand or, or, or say a sinner's prayer again or, or ask Jesus into my heart. None of those things are biblical. Have you come to him? And know that you are his. Let him work in you and through you for his glory. There might be some of us in here this morning who go, you know, I have not come to Christ. I know about him. I know the gospel. I know the words of Jesus, much like Judas. And I'm trying to clean my life up on my own. I'm trying to look better. You're not going to look better than Judas. Judas had all the disciples fooled. But you know who he did it through? God. And you can do all the work on the outside, clean yourself up and, and speak the Christianese language and God bless you and hallelujah and everything else. But if you don't have Christ, you're going to be beggared. Christ is the differentiator. You need to come to Christ. You must receive him as Lord and Savior. And if you have not done that, I plead with you, why not? Come now. Receive him. Again, looking at Judas and learning from Judas again. All the work, all the effort is nothing. What does it matter if you gain the whole world and lose your own soul, Jesus is saying. Christ is our only hope. Believer, know that he will hold you fast. When there are times that are shaky, Christ will hold you fast. Unbeliever, you need Jesus. You need to receive him and turn to him. Submit to him as Lord.
Let's pray together. Father, we come before you this morning and know that as Christ shines in the darkness, it is all for your glory. That there are too many times that we look in the mirror and think, oh, look what we're doing. Look how strong we are and how confident we are. And much like Peter say, I'll never fail. And yet behind the scenes, it is Christ that holds us back. It is Christ who prays and intercedes for us. Father, we thank you for that. We praise you for that. Father, as we look at Judas, we see a man who, on the outside, everything looked good. He knew all the facts. He did the deeds. But inwardly, he was lawless. Inwardly, he was self-seeking. Father, I pray if there's anyone in here this morning that that would be their lives. That they've tried to clean up the outside, tried to, to look good to others, but inside they're a wreck. They're trying to maintain their own life, trying to do their own thing. But today they would come to Jesus. That they would trust and believe in Christ alone, knowing that it is Christ who has died on their behalf paid the penalty for their sins, and that they would pursue Jesus from this day forward. We praise you. God, help us to bring you glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you please stand as we close? fear my faith will fail Christ will hold me fast when the tempter would prevail he will hold me fast I could never keep my hold through life's fearful path for my love is often cold, he must hold me fast. He will hold me fast, yes, he will hold me fast. For my Savior loves me so, he will hold me fast. Those he saves are his delight. Christ will hold me fast. Precious in his holy sight, he will hold me fast. He'll not let my soul be lost. His promises shall last. Bought by him at such a cost, he will hold me fast. He will hold me fast. Yes, he will hold me fast. 
for my Savior loves me so. He will hold me fast. For my life he bled and died. Christ will hold me fast. Justice has been satisfied. He will hold me fast, raised with him to endless life. He will hold me fast till our faith is turned to sight when he comes at last. He will hold me fast. Yes, he will hold me fast, for my Savior loves me so. He will hold me fast. He will hold me fast. Yes, he will hold me fast, for my Savior loves me so. He will hold me fast. What great security, what great hope we have in Jesus Christ. If today the Spirit has drawn you unto Christ and you have questions about where do I go from here, how do I press forward in the faith, I'd love to speak to you after the service. Pastor Manny in the back would also love to talk to you. Uh, but hang out, encourage each other, love on each other, be the church. God bless you.